There's the whistle. Go, go, go! Second half, my three subs action from the Center Circle Studios. We're excited to have with us today former professional footballer and uh, current broadcaster uh, in the United Soccer League. We welcome to the program today, J.J. Greer. Hey, hey! Thanks for having me, guys. It's really great. To, it. It's great to see you here, and uh, of course, you are uh, from near the Center Circle Studios here in Memphis. And we want to touch on some of your professional career. We want to talk about some broadcasting with the USL season on the cusp here of 2020. Going to be exciting. Uh, but for you, you have an extensive soccer background. But before you ever kicked the ball professionally or high school or collegiately, where did your love of the game begin? Um, really, it began, you know, my with my sister. Um, and my, and my, and my parents, you know, um, you know, growing up with my sister, she played, she's about four years older than me. And, you know, she grew up on some really good teams, some local teams around here. Fury, uh, was a big club and now they've merged, um, you know, to form, to, uh, to have some super club now. I think it's MSC now, but, um, really, you know, when I was younger, um, just going out to her practices and, you know, I'd be two years old and they'd be six years old and I'd be four years old and they'd be you know, eight and just playing with them and they were really good and, you know, they didn't go easy on me. So, man, that size so. four ball right about then felt like a rock. That, the size oh, three yeah. rock, man, because if you could get it right on your foot just the right way, you could kill it 60 yards, even if you're like six or seven years old. And oh, then yeah. the reality of life when the ball gets a little bit bigger. But uh, it sounds like your family was really involved uh, in, in your life and, and specifically in sports. You mentioned your parents too. They, they play a little soccer as well at least recreationally for funsies yeah well my dad definitely recreationally being you know capitalized (laughs) yeah and you know he worked really hard he was a try hard you know he grew up playing football american football you know for you know in high school at christian brothers and then he played for the or memphis state as it was back then you know show you know i hate to give away his age but (laughs) um but you know yeah something like that something like that um, but that was his background, and then you know they got my sister into soccer, and then I I got into soccer. But my dad he played in the adult leagues around here until he tore his ACL, and and that was about that, right. you know. And he would drag my mom out there some, and I think she enjoyed it until she got kicked in the shin one time and had this huge bruise, and she was like, you know, Jarvis, I think I'm I'm done with, I'm hanging him up. And so uh, yeah, you know, my dad he 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 loves the game, and he you know he played recreationally being the key word there around, yeah. <laughs> around town. So. Played until the copay didn't cover the pain. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. 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 And I, and, and by the way, for those that don't know his father, uh, Jarvis Greer is a longtime sportscaster here at uh, one of the big TV stations, a big supporter of the game of soccer as well. In fact, I saw him recently out, out at one of the 901 FC practices, getting his own video and audio out there, uh, still still busting it to this day. So I know he loves sports, and I guess that just kind of runs in the DNA in the Greer family. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, he's been doing it for 40 years plus. You know, I've, yeah. I've lost count at this point. <laughs> you know, and like you said, he's still, you know, shooting, shooting practices and the games and he's got the microphone. And I was telling Brody earlier, I've gone out there, you know, helping him hold the microphones up and holding the microphones to Mark Gasol, and, you know, he's talking, and my arm's getting tired, and I'm like, man, and that camera is so heavy, so, um, you know, so, yeah, we, you know, we've always grown up around sports, you know, I don't think I had a choice but to, but to like sports, so it's been great. At what point did you decide, or at least have in your heart, that, okay, you know, this is something I may want to pursue seriously? Um, I would say, I mean, I would say when I was around eight or nine years old, ten years old, um, you know, I was doing pretty well back then, and and I think I was around nine or ten, and they and they moved me up in age group. You know, just because you know I was scoring, you know, two and three goals a game, and they were like, well, you know, maybe you should consider going up. Uh, and I think we had some practices with the older. So I'm a 91, 
Okay. Um, and I got bumped up to the to the 90s. Um, and I would practice with them sometimes, and it would, you know, I did well there too. So they eventually just moved me up. And then I think from then on, you know, people were, you know, kind of hyping me up, and I just really loved the game and uh, did pretty well with it. But that, I really, you know, I played basketball and soccer at that time. And I liked basketball as well, and I was pretty good at that, but I was always pretty short. And I was just really better at soccer. So I think from then on. By the way, what's your take on multiple sports? I would think that playing basketball would help with some of your agility and footwork. Yeah. And I hear two schools of thought that, one, you should absolutely focus on one sport and, and be as good as you can at it. But I also hear, you know what, a variety of sports is probably good for your body and also good for uh, other physical skills. Oh, I think absolutely you need to you know, master a, master a plethora of sports, especially when you're 8, 9, 10 years old, 12 years old. You know, of course, when you get to high school, as it becomes more, you know, centralized and focused, you know, then you have to start making some tough choices, uh, the higher level that you want to play at, and really purely because of scheduling. Um, but I think, you know, when you're a younger kid, when you're a youth, you know, 8 to 12 years old, it, it's great to be able to play multiple sports. There's so many crossovers, um, you know, hand-eye coordination, you know, foot-eye coordination that just cross over. And, I'm off, you know, as many sports as you can play, do that at a younger age. Who were your heroes growing up sports-wise? Um, that's a great question. Yeah, you know, you better well, yeah. say dad. Yeah, my dad. Well, you, well, you know, and he, he, you know, from from a from the media standpoint, from a contributor to sports, absolutely. You know, and I, you know, I took it for granted back then, but, um, you know, I got to do some pretty cool things following him around. You know, going to interviews with him, and you know, interviewing, um, you know, anywhere from Grizzlies players, you know, like a Marcus Gasol or you know Zach Randolph, and. You know, some of the University of Memphis football players and basketball players and, you know, hanging out around Coach Calipari and, you know, Penny Hardaway, I'm sure, back in the day. Um, those are some pretty cool opportunities. Um, and then from and from an athletic side, um, you know, that's a, that's a really tough question. I, I've had so many, you know, people that I've kind of looked up to, you know, when back before the Grizzlies were in town, you know, the Lakers were the big deal. And I loved watching Shaq and Kobe. Sure. You know, may, may Kobe rest in peace. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of soccer, you know, oddly enough, you know, watching Chelsea was my favorite team growing up. So I loved watching Didier Drogba, who, you know, I eventually got to play with. Um, so that was a really cool experience. It's a really full circle. And, you know, a couple years before that, I, you know, had read his book and got to play with him. So um, we have a lot in common because you yeah. played with Didier Drogba. Brody and I have played as Didier Drogba on FIFA yeah, video games. Yeah, well, I did that too. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great. Yeah, and, and, and he seems like, and I want to pick your brain about that, mm -hmm. about your playing days coming up with Didier because it seems like he's a, not just a, a good ball player, but a, just a, a great all, all around human being. Oh, and, and can't wait to talk about that. So you went through club ball. Is, is Which particular club system did you go through or did you kind of? move around in the club system here in Memphis? You know, I pretty much went straight forward with Fury. Okay. Um, you know, it was a club that I really enjoyed playing, and my sister played for them as well. It was um, Germantown Soccer Club, GSC is, is is what it was called. And, you know, I really loved playing for that organization because they really, you know, implemented um, skills and technique, um, whereas some other clubs I felt more so emphasized, you know, the physical side and just and running a lot. And, you know, when you're, when you're a youth, you know, between, you know, eight and – 15, 16 years old, you really need to focus on that technical piece of the game. Um, so that's where I, you know, that's where I cut my teeth. And then eventually MFC and Fury combined for it to be Mid-South Football Club. And I played that my last couple of years of, of, of club ball. That's Richard Boots' organization, that's right? Richard Boots' okay, organization, gotcha. which I, I, I love Richard. He's, he's, he's a character, um, as I'm sure a lot of you 
you guys will know. <laughs> I don't know how they say it in Poland, but he doesn't play any games. He does not. He does yeah. not. So. Uh, JJ Greer joining us on the podcast today with uh, Brody and me. And, and, of course, you moved on to high school and to the great Christian Brothers High School. Is that, was, that, was that the Rogerio Lima era coaching? Yes, yes that was Raj, good old Raj um, era. You know, I, I loved playing for Raj. You know, uh, he was another guy that, you know, focused on. He's a Brazilian guy, so he really focused on that technique and that flair. And, uh, you know, I loved that. And, and Ronaldinho was a player that I loved watching growing up. He was one of my heroes, definitely. And Kaká, um, I loved a lot of Brazilian players. Um, it's kind of who I sort of kind of modeled my game after Kaká and Ronaldinho. Um, I wasn't that good, don't get me wrong, but I loved watching those players. But, you know, it was, it was great playing at, at Christian Brothers and for Raj. You guys had a great run the four years, didn't you? Absolutely. I mean, we got, you know, my first three years, we went to the – um, state championship every year, but we got second. You know, we would fall either in penalties or you know a one goal game. A tough, you know, it was a tough run. But my senior year, we finally uh, were able to win. Nice, yeah, it's a great yeah. way to go out. Yeah, it was a great send off. You know, it was, it was it was amazing. Compared to to club ball, how was high school ball in? Um, I guess in regards to parity, you know, I, oftentimes we see where club ball you, you're going to have really good back and forth matches, but sometimes in high school, some of these schools aren't as well uh, well equipped or well staffed to to have matches. Much of a difference playing at Christian Brothers as it was maybe for MFC and Fury? Um, you know what? Christian Brothers, it really wasn't because the school does such a great job of focusing on soccer and making it a priority. Um, and, and it's kind of a magnet school for soccer players, and especially back then. I think it still is now. They're still doing a really great job with Nick Glazer, who's now the coach, who was actually an assistant coach at the University of Memphis when I was there. Okay. Um, and, and and so to be able to hire a coach even of his magnitude, where he was an assistant coach at a Division One level program for so many years, um, I think it speaks to that program. Uh, so there was always a lot of resources there, and, and a lot of kids that played club ball um, that would go to Christian Brothers. So my experience between club and high school was, you know, that not that much different. But not every high school can can say that in the city. Yeah, how was the opposition in high school compared to club ball? Did you have some matches where you went in like okay? Today I'm going to work on playing with my weaker foot and find ways to challenge yourself because you knew that match may end up 6-0, 7-0, 8-0. Yeah, definitely. I, I really think that those were some of the things that we – and Raj did a good job of you know, keeping us focused and not letting us get lax. But there was definitely some teams that just – you know, for it, it, Well, exactly. And, and you just try to you know, connect as many passes as possible. Um, you know, Maybe work on your weaker foot or work in some things that – you know, you might not be able to do it in a, in a tighter, more closely contested match. So, um, bigger games. I think it was my junior season. Um, CB, Christian Brothers played Houston High School at Micro Soccer Complex in the stadium, and it was essentially sold out. And the band was out there, and the cheerleaders out there. It was almost like a you know American football game. So, <laughs> and we, you know, we didn't, we're not a, we weren't really accustomed to that. But um, that was my one. That was my lone year we were able to play uh, Houston, and, and we actually won that game. So. Um, and that was fun, and, and I was actually able to score twice. So, and I missed a penalty <laughs> in that game as well. So, but it was but it was really fun overall. But Houston is definitely one of those games with, with Coach Wolf that you know was a very um, tough opponent. Yeah. So it comes time to walk the aisle and graduate, and time to look at college. Can you talk about how you determined going to the University of Memphis to staying home, basically? Yeah, um, I played. Um, ODP Olympic Development Program soccer uh, for Tennessee and and Richie uh, was pretty well ingrained in that Richie Grant who was the former coach of University of Memphis um, soccer um, while I was there and he was there for fifteen sixteen years um, he coaches out in California now I believe it's like at Santa Barbara or somewhere right yeah yeah okay Santa Barbara um, 
but yeah, he was a, he was pretty ingrained in that, and you know, of course, with my dad going to to Memphis State and playing uh, football there, and my sister went to to school there, and my mom went to graduate school there. You know, Memphis was always, and I was always a Memphis Tigers fan. You know, um, but and I looked at some other schools um, as well. I looked at Denver University, and they were kind of a newer Division One program. Uh, now they're actually a really strong program yeah. um, out west. Um, but it was it was really always going to be Memphis. Uh, it, it just was, you know, and and Richie, you know, made it a point um, to recruit me, and 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 it just felt like home. So uh, it was a it was a pretty easy decision at the end of the day. You know, after that big match at Micros Soccer Complex, you ended up playing your collegiate home matches yeah. at Micros Soccer Complex, and I know your freshman year was 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 pretty awesome. You came out of the box top ten in the country for about half the season in assists. I mean, you were dealing them out like blackjack. I mean, it was an, it was incredible uh, and a good freshman year. How long, in your mind and physically, did it t- take for you to adapt to the college game? Statistically, it looked like it was pretty. It was a pretty easy transition for you. But in your mind, what was it like walking in from being a state champion to the youngest guy on the pitch? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question because um, it actually started that summer between high school and um, and college, the University of Memphis season. And I was fortunate, you know, I live here, so I was able to train over the summer. Um, with some of the guys that stayed here, um, some of the upperclassmen that stayed here over the summer to work out and things like that. And that was the big difference because when I first, you know, went out to train with them, I was, you know, I was lost. You know, they, I was physically dominated, you know. Yeah, they were moving so fast and I was out of breath. It was, you know, how the Memphis summers are. Like, you know, I wasn't as strong. I wasn't as sharp technically. And, oh man. And they were like, I could not like, wait for those sessions to end just because I was just physically done, you know, and it was, you know, just, just getting embarrassed out there. But eventually, you know, I kept going, kept going, kept working at it, kept getting in the weight room. And, um, you know, by the end of that summer and heading into preseason, I was able to, you know, start, you know, not only hold my own, but start to make things happen and stand out a little bit. So it really happened before be, living here and, and being able to train with those guys before it got me ready for college. Otherwise, I would have been that season would not have looked anything like that. I don't think <laughs> everybody on the team was was were such great guys and and wanted the team to succeed. Um, so there was so I never heard about any animosity in terms of that and and you know the and and the results proved for themselves. You know I was um, got some conference know, accolades as a freshman. Yeah, right? got yeah. some conference accolades. So and and then until people started actually paying attention to me, <laughs> you know, I wasn't able to sneak by anymore. But you know I I I can't. I think there were some openings in that position. So I, I don't I don't know if I really you know had to you know beat out an upperclassman or anything like that, but um, you know I was just so focused on trying to get on the field and working hard. Where were, you, were you a six or an eight or a ten on the field? Because I know that first year you seemed to have more of an offensive thrust. Yeah, I was definitely more of a number ten. I yeah. would say, yeah. um, kind of a second striker behind Parker Duncan, who was a number nine. He would just he was so fast and quick, and you know had just unbelievable endurance and work ethic, and um, and he would you know do all the hard work essentially <laughs> yeah and i would just yeah and i would you know i would just feed him i would serve him up and and you know it, and he would finish and he was able to finish um you know at a decent rate so um i was definitely more of a number 10 i would check back come back and get the ball and and try to make things happen yeah uh jj greer joining us on the podcast which leads me to my next question because uh, and the reason i asked you about where you played in your 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 freshman year and i tried to go out as much as i could to support local soccer but i noticed in subsequent years, you started moving further back, and almost, and maybe you were in a center back position, but it, at, at the very least, you were in a number six position, and where you were having those offense, that offensive production, that 
changed to more of a defensive mindset? What happened between the freshman year and then and then heading the rest of the way? How did your game evolve, or why did it evolve the way that it did? Well, I stopped giving assists and I stopped scoring goals, so they kept moving me back. <laughs> but but uh, to, to to put it bluntly, but. I mean, it was also just the dynamic of the team, and, and you're right. I I did play center back my last two years of college, and I had a redshirt year. So that, um, in between that, yeah, I got injured, yeah. I broke my foot, but I, I did play center back my last two full years um, of college soccer, and it ended up being a blessing in disguise. You know, it 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 you know I was able to play that at the next level, that position at the next level as well. It was kind of the dynamics of the team. Um, you know, we had a we had a couple of down years. Um, and just weren't, for whatever reason, getting a lot of, we weren't clicking offensively. And, you know, I've, I've always been a competitor, and, and Richie one day, you know, he he pulled me into into his office, I think it was the day before a game, and he was like, hey, you know what? You know, you're you're, you're always competing in practice defensively, and um, you have the athleticism, um, you know, that we that we are kind of missing, maybe, or, or not, I won't say missing, but something that we're, that I, that he personally liked um, in a center back um, that can, you know, win balls and play with his feet. He's like, you know what, we're going to try you. And we might have had an injury in there too. He's like, we're going to try you at center back um, this game. You know, what do you think about that? Um, and at the time, I was kind of, you know, I wasn't playing as much. I was like, you know what, whatever gets me on the field, um, you know, I'm going to play it. Um, and it eventually, it 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 took off. You know, it, the position, I had never played that in my entire life, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. That's why I like center back, because you're playing in the middle of the field, and that's where I feel like I'm best, whether it's center back, um, center mid, or, you know, number 10, mm-hmm. or striker. Um, I just like playing in the middle of the field, not really out wide. It's not really, you know, playing out wide doesn't really suit my game. Very much a spine player. Yeah, exactly. And how quickly did it did it take for you to learn the the, the dirty secret uh, about playing center back, especially since you can make those sixty seventy yard runs with multiple touches with with no problem? That if you can make one or two touches and move the ball along, you're considered a freaking genius at the back. <laughs> I know, right? Well, no, it's funny you say that too because you know my first. My first couple of games playing center back, I'm like, man, this is easy. <laughs> you know, you just move the, you don't have to run as much, and you just get receive the ball and pass it, and you know, try not to, you know, win a couple battles here and there until you know you meet, you know, an offensive dynamo, and they're just moving that ball, and you're, you know, your head is spinning. But you know, but my first couple of games, I was like, yeah, th- you know, I got this. This is easy. You know, I didn't, you know, later on, you realize when you come up against some really strong opponents, you're like, oh. I got my hands full. That's where the money's made right there, or exactly. that's where you earn your bread and butter exactly. there. But, yeah, if you watch Virgil van Dyke, very rarely will you see him ever take a third touch on the ball. And, yeah. and people think that he's brilliant, but he is because it's so simplistic and he knows where that next ball is going to go, much like when you were playing that number 10 spot, you had to be thinking one or two passes ahead. Bringing that back to center back allows you to read the game a lot quicker than maybe others that have been playing that for a long time and did not have that versatility. Exactly, and it's really center back or the number 10 position. You know, it's a couple of key moments in the game that are going to be most important, to whereas if you mess them up, especially at center back, then you, you look terrible, you know, and you're out of the team. But if you get them right, you're a genius. So it's, it's and they're really difficult plays at very critical moments in the game that you, that you need to get right. Um, and if you get them right, you know, job well done, you know, good, pat yourself on the back, go home. If you get them wrong, you know, you're thinking about that throughout the night and the rest of the week. And it might only be two or three plays, you know, and that would be a lot for a center back to have to make. Is it is it a fair assumption if you were to break the pitch down into thirds? Uh, you you Basically, many of your passes in the attacking third are low risk. You've got moderate risk in the middle of the pitch. And then if you're playing center back or you're at fullback, anything you make back there is considered high risk because any flub means – it could be a fatal error. Exactly. And that's why, you know, you might not be called upon a lot, but you got to get that right, especially at center back, because you were closest to the goal. Even at outside back, you know, you still got to get it right, but you're out wide. 
um, in the middle of the field and up top, if you miss a pass, if you miss a tackle, they still have to go, you know, 70 or 40 yards. Yeah. If you, yeah. So you, you finished out your career at center back in college, and then it was time to look at your path to professional soccer. That started with the NPSL, right, in Mississippi? Or was, um, it, or was it PDL? So, how, how did yeah, that, that was, work? Yeah, so that was PDL, and that was played in the summertime um, in between. Yeah, exactly. Summertime in Jackson, Mississippi. In the summertime, um, it's not Mississippi. It's Mississippi. Yeah. Mississippi, yeah. In, in, in the heat. It is, it is warm. Um, it, it was warm, I should say. You know, I didn't know if we were playing soccer or swimming, yeah. you know, some of the days. And, um, you know, those were some really talented teams. And that I played um, in Jackson, Mississippi for Mississippi Berea um, in between my – that would have been in between my freshman year and in between my sophomore year. Okay. Um, didn't get on the pitch much during those years. Um, we had some really, really talented guys um, that were in front of me. Um, so, I, you know, I got a couple of games in, but didn't get as much, but I learned a lot. And then also played PDL. And PDL is uh, it's a uh, – now it's called – I think it's USL League 2. Yeah. Um, so it's, um, it was, it's still a USL affiliate. Um, and then I played for the Portland Timbers um, – between my senior year, that was, I think that was 2013, and that, and that was a great experience. Did they, yeah, with the experience on the pitch, did you get some lessons or were you able to learn what it took to be a professional? Because I know it's more than just going out there and being better than the next guy to be on the depth chart, but there's a certain manner on and off the pitch of preparation and the way you carry yourself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I learned a lot um, in those summers because – in the summers, you know, you're not you don't have to worry about school. It's really all about soccer. Um, so in Mississippi, I lived with um, one of our former teammates, um, and he served he served as a, a host family. Um, Trip Harkins was a great guy to live with, funny guy. Um, me and another guy, uh, Thomas Shannon, lived uh, together with him during the summers at Mississippi Bria. And then I lived with another host family in Portland. Um, but really, it's all about soccer. So you gotta really stay on your p's and q's and and be ready when your name is called. And that, that really is, is the biggest thing that I learned in, in how to conduct yourself as a professional. Yeah, yeah I think uh, there's a huge jump. Um, and, and especially now, I think there's even a bigger jump from college soccer, Division One college soccer, to, to USL now because there's more money in the league and there's more you know, quality of players coming in. Um, and even back then, it was still, it was still a massive jump. You know, I'm talking about in 2014 when I entered the league. Um, Were you married at this point? I had just, yeah, I just gotten married at the beginning of 2014, which would have been with, with Charlotte Eagles. Okay. So, um, so yeah, there was a lot of stuff to learn, but um, you know, you you have to, especially my 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 rookie season at Charlotte. You know, I went a month and a half without seeing a single second on the field. So that just really teaches you how you know you have to, but it's a long season, right? So that's what really teaches you how to stay mentally and physically ready. And you're you're going up against and you're practicing. Now with a with a wife, you're starting a family against other people that are starting a family, maybe even have kids, or some that are just happy to not be sitting at home playing a video game. You've got a wide variety <laughs> of people in maturity levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that was a learning experience and kind of a, a, I don't know if it was a cold shot of water to the face, but it's like, okay, here's life. You, it, you've prepared for this. Now go get them. So you played with Charlotte Eagles, and that was, that was, was that USL at the time? It's at yes. the time? It was called um, USL Pro, Got which it. is, okay. was, there was only one division of USL then, so that was the it. Right. All right, and then when was the move to Colorado Springs for you? Um, so I spent one one season with Charlotte Eagles. They actually sold that franchise to the now Charlotte Independents um, of the USL Championship. Okay. Um, and then in 2015, I went on to Colorado Springs Switchbacks, which was a um, – they were in their inaugural season. So 
um, you know, helped start up that club, which was a really fun time. That's a railroad term, right? Switchback. It's a uh, it's so it's a it's on a on a mountain. So it's when a trail goes up a mountain and switches back and forth. Okay, oh. you didn't know you were gonna have to teach us something. Today, <laughs> yeah, did well, you? look, we learned something. <laughs> yeah, I promise you, if I would not have played for that club, I would have not have known that. Not known that. What position did you play, and and what was that like? Yeah, so I played center back there. I did. I played a little bit of number six, holding midfield sometimes, but but definitely mainly center back. And that was that was that was a really great experience because I was actually thrown into more of a leadership role on that team, whereas the year before in Charlotte there was older guys on the team. Um, but this year for the Switchbacks team, I went there because you know they said we're going to have a younger team and we really want you to kind of you know anchor our back line and and and, and start this club. And so I definitely had more of a leadership role, which which was big for me because just being more vocal um, and not just leading by example was a big thing. What was it like to be away from Memphis? Because you'd, you'd played club ball, high school, uh, college ball here. Um, and, of course, you started and you played with Mississippi. Bria, uh, how long did it take for you to just being away from Memphis? Um, I, I think, you know, playing in the summers, PDL in Mississippi and in Portland really helped with that. Yeah. Um, so it, it helped lessen that shock. Um, I guess the length of time that we were that I was away, you know, when you start professional, that was a thing. But you know, overall, I was just you, you know, you're so focused on on you know just being a good pro and keep keeping on moving up, trying to get to the MLS and trying to get to that next level. You just don't really, for me personally, I didn't really have to think about. It. And I had my wife with me, and and she's from she's from Winnipeg, Canada, actually. Um, so we were you know in it together, and you know it wasn't it wasn't really a huge thing for me. That had to be really cool to have your wife have your back on something like that right. for you to chase. That dream. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's always been so supportive of, of me and, you know, and we would talk, you know, um, about where we'd want to go. And, you know, when because at the end of the year, I was only on one year contracts, but we would kind of talk about, hey, do we want to stay here? Do we want to go overseas? And, you know, no, we were in it together. That's, a, that's cool. awesome. USL now compared to back then. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, it's, it's has with the divisions now kind of more defined, I guess. I'm guessing there was a little bit of difference, but just judging from some of the videos I've seen, the style of play really hasn't changed all that much. It was a very high level of play even back then. Oh, it was a very high level of play. I think just the production quality overall of um, of the league just is able to showcase it better, you know, because, you know, guys were playing, you know, good soccer in 2014 and even, you know, early 2000s because the league has been around for a long time. Yeah. Right. Um, but now, you know, the you know the production, the broadcast quality is cleaner, Um uh, Better color, be, color analysts for sure. Well, yeah, I don't know about that, <laughs> but uh, no, I appreciate that. You, you two know, color commentators calling down over exactly, there. exactly. <laughs> um, the fields are better. You know, the stadiums are bigger. The crowds are better. So it just showcases the league overall. I think there's always been good soccer, but it, yeah. it is. But the level is increasing though. I think you had scored a couple of goals with Colorado. I know you had played like forty or fifty games with Colorado Springs and playing in that number six role doesn't offer a lot of opportunities. But I think I remember one of the matches because I think. That night, Mark Gasol had gone off for like 45, but your dad led the sports cast with a goal from J.J. <laughs> J. J. Greer. Greer. <laughs> in, in, in Colorado Springs, you know, and he's, he's talking to people from Memphis. And they're like, he's got like he's got video that had like Bigfoot grainy, you know, quality to it, showing that yeah. instead of Gasol going off for 45. Uh, it's like J.J.'s having himself a night out yeah, there. there you go. That, yeah. Well, well I'm, I'm glad, Tim, that you were watching that and you could appreciate that because I'm sure some people are like – what is this? Come on, what is this? I want man, to know about Marcus on the Grizzlies. Man, I love your dad, man, because he he's always had your back. He loves sports. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're really blessed in that aspect. And it sounds like your wife has just been by your side on all this. But that was not the last stop. You still had one more place to go. 
And this was a very intriguing move to Phoenix Rising. Yeah, and that was um, you played with some dogs out there too, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, I got to play with some some really some really big hitters, as they say. Um, and, and it was kind of unexpected, you know. When I was going to that team, you know, they were actually had they were actually had some down years. You know, they hadn't made the playoffs yet, but right. you know, they wanted to uh, you know start getting some better players, and and they did, you know. And um, didn't Austin Sean Wright Phillips play on that team? Yeah, so there was Sean Wright Phillips, who was a former Chelsea player and Manchester City yeah. star. Yeah. Um, Peter Ramage, who played for Newcastle, and then uh, Jordan Stewart, who played for Leicester City, and then eventually, you know, they brought in Didier Drogba. What was that like in training? Um, it and, was, and by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but how did that problem. feel to know that you belonged on that club? Uh, I mean, that was a really that was a really great thing. You know, I, I did suffer some injuries during that time, um, so that was unfortunate. But you know, when I was healthy and getting to play, and the fact that they wanted me, um, it was you know, it just really was really fulfilling to be able to do that. How are the crowds then? I know, I know. Now they have dollar beer night with the Bud Light, you know, dilly dilly night out there, right. and they fill it up. How was it back then? Was it was was it about the same, or it, were they just on the cusp of blowing up? No, it was it was essentially the same. Yeah. Um, you know, especially when DDA came, um, you know, people did not want to miss that. No. <laughs> you know, as you as you can imagine. But even before he came, we were getting really really good crowds because people, you know, people really are excited about soccer there. You know, it's it's pretty amazing that they don't have an MLS team yet, right? Um, just because it's. You know, such a large market and a, a large Hispanic market and a big soccer market. Um, you know, all the factors that you would think would would be able to get and attract an, an MLS franchise. But you know, even even back, you know, back then the crowds were great and we were able to make the playoffs that year, which which was great too. How were how were uh, Phillips and uh, Wright Phillips uh, and Ramage and and Drogba as as professionals? I, I mean, they had been to the pinnacle, of course. Drogba scoring the match winner in Champions League, you know, last seven or eight years ago. With Chelsea, what was that like uh, being around them, and how were they as professionals? You know, what what's what would you tell you know your kids when they grow up someday about playing w- with those guys? Absolutely. Well, if it was great getting to play with those guys. I mean, they were you know more t- in the twilight of their careers, so you know they wouldn't always train every day just because you know their bodies were. Sure. You know, they had, you know these guys have been playing pro since you know they were sixteen years old. You know, and you know now they're in their mid thirties, so yeah. twenty years of soccer at the top level. Brutal. Yeah. It's just brutal, especially in England. You know, they're just hit, you know, especially England in the early 2000s and, you know, just tackles flying that everywhere. That was blue-collar kind of. Blue-collar yeah. kind of stuff. So, um, you know, they, they wouldn't always train, but when they did, when they wanted to really turn it on, um, I mean, it was just, it was it was amazing to see. And I was, you know, especially, you know, marking, I'm I'm a center back and Didier was a, a striker. So I'm marking him in training. He's just so big and strong. You know, he would just shield you off and you literally couldn't even see the ball sometimes. And he would just kind of direct you where he wanted to go, and then Sean Wright Phillips was so quick. So, um, no, really great getting to to see how those guys would take care of their body and and and, and train and do the right things off the field as well. I know you, you had a stint with them, and then it, did you call it full time on your career at that point, or what? When when did you decide it was it was time to move on? Yeah, so right around then, and I had kind of been looking before um, that season as well at you know um, phasing on to the next you know the next phase of my career. Right. Um, you know, not playing soccer. And especially then, you know, I had a, I had a, they're calling it a core muscle injury. Now I had kind of a sports hernia type of injury going on and that wasn't comfortable, you know, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, my knees were starting to kind of get a little, get a little weaker. So um, I was starting to look to that next phase. And then after 2017 decided to, you know, hang them up. Yeah. And of course, graduating from the university of Memphis, you, you're basically ready to move on. 
to the next phase. And, and then a USL championship club comes calling Memphis 901 FC. They know that you have extensive experience in this league. You know all of the ins and outs of the league and an opportunity to call uh, play by or the color analysis mm-hmm. on the broadcast for the ESPN networks and for the local network here. Talk about kind of following in dad's footsteps, at least, you know, on a part time basis and doing some of these games. No, that's that's been great. And I, you know, when it was announced that the team was coming to Memphis, you know, I immediately reached out to some contacts here and, you know, Craig Unger, the, the president of the team, got his um contact info and was like, Hey, you know, I look whether it's playing or not, I actually, you know, I knew I wasn't gonna play because it was a year out um from when the team was announced or yeah. two years out, I can't remember. But I was like, you know, however I can be involved with this, you know, I would I love did to be, that. Yeah, you know, I would I would love to be involved with it. And, you know, he's been great, and he was like, yeah, you know, look, we'll keep you in mind. You know, right now we're just really forming the very basics of the club. <laughs> you know, we need to hire a coach, and we need to – there's so many things that we need to do, um, which, of course, I understood. But Andrew Bell, when he was still the uh, technical technical director of the team, he moved to Memphis and right away got in touch with me, which I appreciated. And, you know, we started talking about some different things. And then eventually it's like, hey, you know, what do you think about broadcasting? And I was like, you know, doing the color analyst. And I was like, uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I can talk like, about this sport all day. Yeah, I can talk about this sport. You know, I don't have a ton of experience personally with it. I've been around, you know, my dad and doing stuff like that. And uh, but no, it was it was it was great to be able to um, you know, be able to call games for the inaugural season. It, it, the, the season, of course, I think they finished fifteenth in, in the league, but uh, some some great moments out there, and it's good to see some of the loanees go on and it looks like Jeff Caldwell is going to do okay with New England. Uh, Elliot Collier just earned himself a three-year deal, so yeah. there's some positives coming out. Of course, with the upcoming season, it looks like they're going to make maybe some more veteran moves with the club, and uh, I, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to 2020. No, I think you know I think this will be a much better year results-wise um, on the field product for the team. I think, as you said, signing some of the veterans and some of these big, big hitter guys, you know, like a Jose Baxter or um, – uh, I believe it's Marsh Brown is his, is named the new yeah Keanu yeah, yeah. Keanu uh, great we just name, call him Key yeah first Ke- syllable I'm basis. just gonna call him Keanu that's such a great name yeah right um, I love Whoa. the Matrix as well so. right. <laughs> nice um, you know some of these these guys that have played at really top levels over in England I yeah. think you know just that experience overall and the quality of the players is just gonna make for some really good results this year what were your thoughts on attendance last year did that kind of blow you away uh, yes um, really? you know I thought the the liveliness of the crowd. Um, you know, the supporters group and uh, Bluff City Mafia and just how in tune and how knowledgeable the crowd is um, about soccer. It, it it was kind of a surprising thing, but not really. You know, we've always known this kind of underground soccer community that isn't so underground. You know, right. we just needed a platform to be able to showcase it. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think we did that on a national scale. Yeah. I laughed a couple of matches where we're clapping for the clears. You know, that's such a you know European thing where you clap a clear exactly. uh, and you're like, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a clear. Or nice a good, switch. Yeah, nice exactly. switch. Yes. Yeah. yeah. A, nice, a nice clap, you know. Right. So it's, it was like, okay, yeah, I like, I like this. You know, I, we, have a, we have a very knowledgeable soccer market, you know, right. which is why we have a team here and people watch soccer and they play it. Yeah. So. It yeah. was it was it was awesome. What were your thoughts when uh, obviously Tim Howard being named sporting director that had to have kind of like okay this we're we're in it. What oh, were yeah. your thoughts when Tim Howard was announced? I mean his name you know his name and his brand just immediately brings um, validity to to any situation. Right. You know of course we've always known of his ties to Memphis with his kids being here and everything, but and, and of course he had a minority ownership stake in the team. Yeah. But now that he really you know now that he's done playing with Colorado and he really just wants to. Um, you know, be involved in the front office, and he's chosen our club. 
901 FC to be able to do that. You know, you, you already know that he's going to go in full force and he's not going to slack off and he's, he's going to want this thing to be right. So, and it will be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, looks like it's going to be a fine, uh, fun 2020. And Tim Howard is not known to really go any, into anything halfway. No. No. You no. never said, you know, Tim should really just try harder. I don't think anybody's <laughs> ever said that. Yeah. No, he, and he, and he would tell you himself, and I'm sure he said it in, an, uh, in a number of interviews that he, as you said, you know, he doesn't know any any other way but 100%, and he's right. going to give that. Yeah. Uh, and one one last question about about one of your most recent roles as well. After probably the biggest hat trick in your career, that's triplets. Uh, what's it like to be a father of four? That's got to be the greatest job ever to have, oh, it's, have four. It's, it's incredible, you know, and, and my wife, she does such a, a, a great job. Um, you know, she's home with them every day while, you know, I go to work. Um, and I just come home and, and, you know, they all come and tackle me and everything. And <laughs> you get the fun time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And sometimes she's like, ah, you know, you get the fun time or I'm, you know, changing the diapers and all that other stuff. And, you know, of course, of course I do that as well. But no, it's just been so fun. It's been crazy. You know, I won't lie to you. You know, it's, 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 it can be a lot. It can be a handful sometimes, but we have a, we have so much fun with it and enjoying teaching my three-year-old soccer now. So. Bigger, uh, bigger thing to take the wind out of you. When you first learned that you were having triplets, or taking a shot to the bread basket from Drogba? <laughs> wow, um, I would definitely say uh, the triplets because that it that it keeps on giving. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that had yeah. never happened before. Yeah. Know, I've right. taken I've taken some you know some some shots before. So on the soccer field, you're used to that. You expect those things, yeah, right? right? You know, you don't always expect triplets. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, but no, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And needless to say, you know, called some friends over and we had a few drinks that night. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure. <laughs> JJ Greer, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure. How can folks follow you on uh, social media, by the way, if they so choose, or should we just keep a, an arm's distance from you? Yeah, I know. You can follow me at JJ Greer 21 on Twitter. You know, I don't tweet a ton, but, you know, I'm on there and I like to keep up with things and keep up with people. So, well, what are you um, doing, man? Yeah. So, so what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> You said you don't tweet a lot. Well, what are you doing? Uh, oh, being a father fun. of four and a husband, <laughs> and, exactly. you know, and, and working a you know working a nine to five. And, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, not doing a lot, but you know, just <laughs> just on Twitter all day. So just, yeah, right. just get on every now and then for your health. <laughs> yeah, exactly. JJ, it's been an absolute pro- uh, pleasure. We look forward to seeing you and hearing you on the broadcast in the USL Championship in 2020, which is on the ESPN networks. Also, I believe they'll probably have some local broadcasts as well. We thank you for your time and sharing your experiences. And please don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you back sometime. Absolutely. Thank you, Tim Brady. I really appreciate it. More next on My Three Subs, a soccer odyssey. I love talking soccer, but I also love talking about real estate, too. And, and people ask me about both a lot. And one of the big questions I get in real estate is, how's the housing market? The housing market looks great, and interest rates are near historical lows. And really, it all comes down to when is the time right for you? If you're ready to make your move, give me a call Tim Van Horn at Cry Like Realtors. 901-756-8900 is my office number. Brody, can I give him my cell number? Oh, I can? Okay. 901-262-5000. That's my cell phone. You can also go to my website, timvanhorn.com. I can help you with your move around the block, around the city, around the state, and even around the world, too. I have a network of relocation certified agents just ready to help you. They are dying for your business, and I can put you in touch with those. All it takes is pick up the phone, give me a call. 901-756-8900. That's my office number. You can call me at my cell, 901-262-5000. Or just go online. Check me out at timvanhorn.com. That's timvanhorn.com with Cry Like Realtors. This is My Three Subs, a soccer odyssey. And we have added time to the podcast.
There's the whistle. Thank you for listening. Check out more of my three subs podcast, A Soccer Odyssey.